0: Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher.
1: This is On the Ball on the United WeCast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA and that is here before I get to game six between the Hawks and Bucks and the Eastern Conference finals I wanted to revisit the clinching win by the Suns over the Clippers in their game six a friend of mine A former outstanding high school coach here in the Bay Area who produced at least one NBA player that I know of texted me in the midst of the Suns clinching their first trip to the NBA Finals since 1993 and Chris Paul going bananas to get to his first NBA Finals ever. A friend was outraged at Paul's flop after DeMarcus Cousins appeared to graze Paul's shoulder or jaw attempting to get past him so he could inbound the ball. His message to be me read, Whatever respect anybody may have possibly had for Chris Paul before that stunt tonight should now be totally eliminated. What a bleeping joke. Pathetic. I guess I've become immune to such flopping. Or maybe I didn't find it quite as egregious because Cousins did appear to move his elbow in an attempt to make contact. Or that Chris Paul looking to elicit a reaction from Cousins and Cousins falling for it was in perfect character for both gentlemen, and therefore a matter of course rather than a surprise. That said, it bothered me that Paul's performance in particular, and so many incidents in these playoffs in general, devalue what has otherwise been an entertaining postseason. We should be celebrating CP3's accomplishment without reservation, But we can't, because it feels as if there was an an unsportsmanlike aspect to it. An unnecessary one, as I see it. I used to feel the same way about soccer. That was the sport I excelled at, playing through college. I never flopped, because I inherently found it distasteful. I was cocky, and pretending I'd been hit or kicked when I hadn't just seemed soft. Now, if I did get legitimately kicked or tripped or elbowed, I didn't mind selling it to make sure I got the call. As I saw it, I was just helping the ref make the right call in case he had any doubts. Thanks to the use of video replay, soccer can now retroactively give a yellow card to a player who flops or takes a dive, as is more commonly said in soccer. This change was made after the 2018 World Cup when there was just a lot of egregious Dramatization, shall we say. Play acting. Basketball in the NBA need to do the same. There have been a few rules put in place, but the league has been incredibly lax in enforcing them, and they only amount to fines levied after the fact. That isn't much of a deterrent. The penalty needs to be in-game and immediate. Free throws or foul rescinded, a technical free throw or two, and the ball, awarded to the other team. Players would stop exaggerating contact in a hurry, which would make it easier on the referees. As an aside, I blame the European players who adopted it from their soccer brethren and introduced it to the NBA, popularized it. Vladi Divac was one of the first that I can recall. American-born players, for the most part, considered it weak. There were a few exceptions, Reggie Miller being one of the most notable. As an aside, another aside, I wish that Reggie talked more about the tricks he pulled and the approach he had as a scorer. We're in a different era, to be sure, but as an early artisan of the flop and finding his way to the free throw line, it would be informative just to hear the comparisons of how the game is called now. That would also put some pressure on the league to acknowledge how much it goes on now. I guarantee you that if just one or two flops were dealt with within game, it would put a freeze on every exaggeration, which is now rampant. There was a time when it was considered dishonorable to dramatize every incident of contact. Now it's routine. Head snaps, flailing arms. It has become standard practice to fall down on every three point shot. Why? Because it's rewarded. It works. The League has to know this. They've curbed other sorts of trickery when it comes to the rules. So why only pay this one lip service? Unless it doesn't mind all the theatrics. I know this might seem a little conspiracy theorist or theoristic, but keep in mind, the League doesn't mind controversy. It keeps people talking and debating the game well after it's over. Same goes for the MVP race. The league could snuff a lot of the conjecture and disagreement when it comes to who deserves MVP in a given season if they provided a simple definition of who or what the criteria is. I've been a voter for 25 years now, and I can tell you there's never been a definition. One does not exist. Leaving it wide open for interpretation invites debate and attention. Also consider who does it the most, the game's biggest stars, biggest offensive stars, LeBron, James Harden, certainly Chris Paul. It keeps defenders on pins and needles trying to defend them without getting too close, which provides extra space for them to show off their prodigious skills. I get why the league would want to see that happen. It inflates their numbers into box scores that prompts comparisons to previous greats. Numbers that make for eye-catching headlines. But consider Game 5 between the Hawks and Bucks earlier tonight. Bereft of superstars, it was also short on flops. Danilo Gallinari for Atlanta and Brooke Lopez for the Bucks went to the line the most, both taking a modest seven free throws. Did we think any less of Lopez's 33 points because of it? Not me. It was a fully earned 33. As an aside, yet another one. Lopez showed the difference defensively of how much simply getting a hand up and forcing a shooter to adjust his angle and arc to get a shot off can do to mid-range shooters to miss. The Hawks made their share, but they also front-rimmed quite a few that, for comparison, the Suns made over and over again, simply because the Clippers didn't make the extra effort of challenging the shot. Same for the Bucks in Game 4. Kevin Herter's 3 for 12 was a direct result. Milwaukee's offense purred, but what stood out to me was their help de- defense, along with their contests. Every time a Hawk beat someone off the dribble, A second defender showed up to cut him off or to get a hand up. And the beat defender cracked back to hit the boards or get back in the mix. Lou Williams for the Hawks also did not disappoint. Atlanta got good Lou in Game 4. When he hits his first few shots, he's a handful. That's always the indicator. J.R. Smith was the same way. But Lou's off-balance, make-it-up-as-you-go-along approach is a recipe for inconsistency. He finished with five assists and six turnovers. It's why the suggestion after Game 4 that the Clippers trading him for Rajon Rondo was so short-sighted. Yes, we may have seen the last of playoff Rondo, but it was worth finding out for the Clippers. And it doesn't take into account that Rondo assuredly was involved in coaching Terrence Mann to do what he did, Sweet Lou doesn't have any defensive tricks to share. Or offensive ones, because his approach is so unorthodox and unique. It's not something you would want taught. I'd be remiss in not mentioning Bobby Portis's contribution as well, stepping in for Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was out with his hyperextended left knee. I've liked Bobby since the Bulls drafted him. He's not a full-time starter, and I wouldn't be surprised if he struggled in Game 6 if he indeed has to fill in for Giannis again, which I would expect. I'm not expecting either Trey Young with his bone bruise in his foot or Antetokounmpo with his hyperextended knee to get a look in the next game. But, regardless, Portis should have been playing a more integral role this entire series. I put that on coach Mike Budenholzer. John Collins at 6'9 in springy, it's not a good matchup for P.J. Tucker at 35 years old and standing at 6'5 with minimal lift. Portis's length at 6'10 has been much more of a deterrent. Portis also clearly feeds off the crowd, and having been there not all year but a good part of it, Milwaukee's home crowd clearly has a warm spot in their hearts for him. Tucker hasn't been there long enough to generate the same affection, and he's not the kind of player that gets revved up by the crowd. Let's face it, he's a hired gun. He's a free agent at the end of the year. And I, my guess is, maybe for the right price they bring him back if he really wants to stay in Milwaukee. But I think Portis has shown enough that that's not a must-have. The crowd gave Portis all the confidence he needed in Game 5. He won't have that in Atlanta. But I hope Giannis was watching, because Portis's decision-making was on point. If he forced a shot, I don't remember it. The Eastern Conference Finals could still easily go seven games, by the way. If these teams have demonstrated anything since their stars went down, it's that the collective effort by the remaining complementary players can carry the day. I'm pretty certain we will see a different Hawks team in Game 6, and there's no telling what we will get from the Bucks. Their urgency has come and gone throughout this series. In any case, all of that should continue to make this a compelling series, even if there aren't flailing limbs and sprawling bodies and flops that earn suspect trips to the free throw line. All right, that is a short but sweet episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I always appreciate hearing from you. With the Western Conference Finals wrapped up, we now have only one game to await for the weekend, the holiday weekend. Please enjoy the time with your friends and family, and we'll meet here again next week. As always, thanks for listening.